Blog Talk Radio. to join you again for another installment of The Brown Bag with Michael T. Brown. Let me first start by giving a couple shout-outs. First, to A Measure of Truth host and executive producer, Michael Fordham. Michael, thank you for this opportunity you afforded me. You are a true blessing. Also, to my brother, Eric Washington, for producing our new introductory song. Man, your gifts, your gifts are incredible. Hey, Mike, what do you think about that song? I love it, man. It was awesome, man. A great theme song, something that's catchy. Uh, you know, I've, it's been in my head ever since the first time I heard it. So, yeah, I'm really excited about it. Really good job. Excellent, excellent. Well, Mike, we got we have a great show in store today. So what's in the brown bag today? Well, we're going to discuss a very important topic, educational empowerment, getting our children the education they deserve. You've heard it before, education is the key that unlocks the door to our future. Well, for far too many of our young people, that door is being increasingly shut. The statistics are staggering. Here's just one, for example. Children who aren't reading proficiently by fourth grade are four times more likely to drop out of high school, according to the National Assessment of Educational Progress, and only 34% of America's fourth graders read at grade level. Friends, that's a problem. We can and must do better. Well, today on our show, we have two difference makers in the field of education, and they are passionate about doing just that, improving our schools and empowering our students. That's Dr. Gregory Hudson and Mr. Richmond Hill. I'm going to introduce Mr. Hill a little bit formally later in our show. But let's start with a conversation with Dr. Greg Hutchins. Dr. Gregory C. Hutchins, Jr. became superintendent of the Shaker Heights Schools on August 1st of 2013. Before coming to Shaker Heights, Dr. Hutchins served as director of pre-K through 12 initiatives for the Alexandria, Virginia Public Schools, a diverse district of approximately 13,000 students. 
Dr. Hutchins holds a B.S. in Interdisciplinary Studies from Old Dominion University and a Master's in Educational Leadership from George Mason University. He obtained his Doctorate in Educational Policy, Planning, and Leadership from the College of William and Mary in 2010. In 2009, he was named Tennessee Middle School Principal of the Year. Among many other honors, he was a fellow at the National Institute of Urban Leaders at Harvard University. Dr. Gregory Hutchins, welcome to the Brown Bay. Hey, thanks a lot, Mike. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, it's, it's, it's really great to have you on today. And one of the reasons why I brought you on is because I think you're going to really be able to help our listeners today. Um, let's start by you just telling us a little bit about yourself and how that led you to become an educator. Yeah, absolutely. You know, first off, let me just say I feel extremely blessed and fortunate to be in the position uh, that I'm in currently as the uh, first African-American superintendent in Shaker Heights uh, City Schools. And, uh, you know, many people I encounter, they always assume what my upbringing and life experiences were or are. And um, I'm, I think, a living testimony to say that, you know, if you have really great people who encourage you and wonderful educators in your life, that you could be anything possible. Um, you know, I started out in a single-parent household for most of my, my childhood. And, uh, you know, I was really encouraged by a lot of the educators who empowered me beginning in kindergarten, you know, at Miss Murphy. Um, who's also is now Miss McKenzie. She's been married since. She was my kindergarten teacher, but uh, she planted a seed in me that really changed the tra trajectory of my entire life. Um, you know, I think that she started out by telling me that anything was possible and that I needed to take this energy that I had and put it in a positive way. Um, so, I, you know, I feel that I've been very fortunate to have people along the way that pushed me. Um, you know, going out through my career, you know, I've had many people who inspired me and who told me, you know, what was possible and how I could do great things in my life. And most of the time, I didn't believe in myself, um, but I had people that continued to, to encourage me. One thing that I wanted to say is, you know, I went off to Old Dominion University, as you mentioned earlier, and um, in school, I, initially, I thought I was going to be a medical doctor, and I realized that that wasn't my pathway. Um, when I when I got out of college and had my first job as an admissions counselor, I ran into a principal that came up to me and she said, you know, you would be a good educator. And um, I didn't really think, consider going into teaching, but, you know, I had a career change a few months later and decided to pursue education. And I called her up. Her name was Joyce Sigmundson. And she actually hired me on the spot in Prince William County Schools. I think that was around the time we met. Uh, Mike, back in uh, 2000 or so, um, and then the rest is history. So, you know, what I, when I say that my life, you know, growing up in a single-parent household, free and reduced lunch at times throughout my educational career, um, to be where I am today is truly an inspiration. I feel like my life is a storybook, and um, I'm, I'm very happy and fortunate. Wow, I appreciate you sharing that. Let's talk about that statistic I mentioned earlier and how it pertains to our audience. Can you talk about the importance of literacy early on in a child's education? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that, you know, as you mentioned earlier, here in the state of Ohio, we actually have a third-grade reading guarantee where uh, we're guaranteeing that all of our third-graders will be on or above grade level in regards to reading. Um, it's so important for 
you know, our young people and our families to read to our children. Um, I'm, I'm sure you've heard of President Obama's new push to get a $75 billion plan uh, passed um, in regards to universal pre-K. And uh, I think that that's definitely the right direction for for our country to go. Or, you know, if our kids are not able to read, um, they're not able to, to master those skills in specific content areas. So, you know, it, it's it's very scary, particularly I'm sure the statistic is extremely high for African-American families from low-income um, communities who are not reading on grade level, and we're going to have to ensure that they have those skills prior to entering kindergarten. You know, that that's key that you say that because one thing that you notice is that in the statistic, I believe, points out that it's so important that children are able to read early because what happens is is that if they don't get it early, oftentimes it doesn't get better. It doesn't get better. So what can parents do? Because I, I believe I was told early on in my career that education is like a three-legged stool. It stands strongest when all three legs are strong, that, of course, being the student. Then you have the school. And, and and oftentimes the one that isn't mentioned as much are parents. What can parents do to better ensure their child's success in school? Well, first and foremost, I mean, you know, I think parents need to be active in their child's educational careers, um, whether it's contacting the teacher, um, attending the back-to-school night or parent-teacher conferences throughout the year, PTA conferences or meetings. Um, I think that just being involved is very important. And also parents need to, to ask questions. You know, a lot of times, you know, when, when students come home with concerns or issues about school, the parent doesn't pick up the phone to just contact the teacher and ask some questions. If you feel your child is not being pushed or encouraged um, or if you feel that a teacher has um, done something that's even detrimental to your child's future, you need to you need to get in contact with that teacher and have some serious, courageous conversations uh, with him or her regarding your child's education. And, you know, I also think that the reading piece is so important. You know, um, a lot of homework assignments today for most students across the country is to read at home for 15 to 20 minutes. And I think one thing that parents can definitely do is ensure that your children are reading for those 15 to 20 minutes each day. And then sometimes read to them. Um, or even model reading for them, whether it's reading a newspaper or reading your favorite magazine or favorite book in their presence. Um, I think it's important for them to see that reading is definitely fundamental. I, I think it's the key to success for any student in regards to education. Yeah, earlier on you shouted out one of your teachers that made a big difference in your life. Um, to me, that points to the need of a student being engaged. What would you say about student engagement and children coming to school passionate about the information or the, the curriculum? What what can teachers do to better capture the attention of their students? I, I know you're a superintendent now, but you're a former classroom teacher. What were some strategies that you used to help engage students? Yeah. Well, you know, I can say that I am a superintendent now, but as I tell uh, my entire staff in Shaker Heights, I'm an instructional leader first and an educator. 
And um, this is a totally different generation. This new generation, this 21st century learner, is all about technology. They're extremely technologically savvy. Um, they can't just sit in a classroom for long periods of time and listen to lecture. So what I encourage teachers to do in Shaker Heights and what I'm asking teachers across the country to do is to ensure that you have cooperative learning within your classroom, that you're providing opportunities for your students to take full ownership of their learning. And that, um, you know, when you talk about engagement, the sit and get and drill and kill that we used to do or that we've been uh, or we have a tradition of doing <laughs> in, you know, American schools, we, we have to really throw out the window. You know, it's all about engagement and having assignments where kids are actually talking to each other um, and doing some hands-on activities and relating yeah. the, the content to real-life experiences, you know, whether it's through field trips or visiting online or simulations in the classroom. You know, it's all about the 21st century uh, learning. With some people, they want to hold on to how we used to do things, and, and times have changed. The kid today is so different. You know, my three-year-old, he's on an iPad. Using an iPad yeah. at three, he's able to log in, put in passwords, download apps <laughs> at three years old. You know, I mean, wow. so what, who's going to teach him, you know, five years from now if we don't step it up in regards to technology? We're going to lose a lot of our kids. Yeah, that's good that you talk about uh, the need for teachers to to engage students. I ask people all the time, you know, would you be excited by your lesson? And if you're not excited about it, why should you expect anybody else to be excited about it? Exactly. You know, how many times how many times have we sat in meetings and we tune out? You know, so it's it's interesting that you talk about that. Talk a little bit about some of the teachers that you've met. I actually just left from a uh a senior breakfast this morning and I noticed one of the teachers who was there helping. Um in, in between her time of helping um with yearbooks and, you know, helping seniors get make some plans for their senior year. I noticed her over to the side grading papers. This is her Saturday, and she's sitting there grading papers. And, hey, listen, I, I get it, you know, in any profession, let's face it, you got some that are better than others, right? That's true. However, exactly. however, there are teachers who are out here making a difference, who are engaged. Shout out to your profession a little bit. What should maybe the layperson, the person who might not, you know, get to see that, that ins and outs of education, what would you say about your professions and teachers more in particular? Well, you know, I think that right now in regards to teaching, it's one of the hardest jobs in the world. And, um, wow. you know, teachers, they, they really are overworked and uh, and in some cases underpaid. Um, but they have a, a, a wonderful job, and I think that many teachers, if they're in it for the right reasons, the pay doesn't matter. You know, if you're in it because you're passionate and you want to make a difference in young people's lives, um, then you're going to come and give 100% every single day. You're going to grade those papers on a Saturday. You know, you're going to visit a, a ball game or, you know, a club after school with some of your students or their recitals or things that they may invite you to. You know, you're going to go above and beyond the call of duty, you know, if you're an effective yeah. teacher. And, you know, I think it's so important for educators today to really be on top of the latest research um, and instructional practices in the classroom um, because, you know, our, our times, you know, they're they're changing. And yeah. as you know, I mean, just, I mean, we have the new iPhone that just came out this month. iPhones just came out a couple of years ago. We already have, you know, four different versions of of the iPhone already. Um, so, so time is moving. It's ticking really fast, and we have to keep up uh, with this generation. 
Um, but one thing that I see, I'm in classrooms quite often as a superintendent, which is it's pretty rare for, you know, a lot of superintendents to be in classrooms. But one um, vow that I made to, to my community here in Shaker Heights was that I would be in buildings in the classroom to see exactly what teachers are doing so that I can better understand, you know, the different mandates that we put in place and policies and how it affects their work as well as the student environment um, in our classrooms. And the only way I can do that is by actually being in the classrooms and seeing good instruction. Um, and some things that I've seen lately is just teachers that are genuinely committed to um, yeah. ensuring that all of our students learn. And it, it's through, you know, here in, in Shaker Heights, we have the International Baccalaureate um, programs throughout all of our schools. So that's K-12, where it focuses on a holistic approach to education, where we're just not doing the traditional math, science, social studies, um, and language arts, that we're we're doing the arts. You know, we have a 350-member marching band. Um, we only have 5,500 students, 1,700 in high school. Wow. So 350 of those students are part of the marching band. We have a phenomenal arts program. All of our students take Chinese, again, um, from kindergarten through sixth grade in our in our district. Um, that's a requirement, and they all take in world languages when they get to the middle school. Um, so we're really trying to provide our students with those critical and analytical skills so that they're able to go out into the world prepared for, for college or careers. Yeah, and what I take from what you're saying is the days of, you know, getting your children up and dressed and sending them out the door and relegating the education over to the teachers, in many ways that's over. It sounds like it's over. what you're saying is, yeah, it, it sounds like, and in many times even back in the day there was that, that, that team approach. But that's what I hear you saying, all hands on deck. All hands on deck all hands on deck, and it's not just our teachers, it's our community members, it's our business leaders, it's our parents, yeah. it's our social workers, it's everybody, you know. Um, I, I was talking recently to someone, and I said the power of words, and I had talked about how edu as educators we have so much power, and sometimes we don't understand how powerful we are. We can either make or break our young people. You know, we can put positive into their lives or we can put negative into their lives. And as I talk with educators and I ask them why they got into the business, 50% will say they got into the business because somebody, a teacher, truly inspired them and made them want to grow up and become a teacher. And many say that a teacher was terrible and made them feel bad about themselves and they don't want that to ever happen to any other well, young people. So they've gone into education. So, you know, I just feel like the power of words. And the power that we have as educators is is really tremendous. Yeah, that, that, that's right. It's interesting uh, being a school counselor, and I tell people that I'm a school counselor. Oftentimes, instantly, they'll tell me about their school counselor. And there's many times no gray area. Either it was, he was good, he or she was really good, or inspired me and let, tried to encourage me to go on. Or either they have horror stories of you know, my counselor told me, hey, you might want to look at a. Uh, finding a trade, you're not college material. And that serves as a constant reminder to me, in many ways, what you're saying. As educators, there's such, there's such influence that we have, and we've got to take that influence seriously. And uh, I appreciate exactly. you sharing that. Yeah, I want to uh, yeah. bring Richmond Hill on at this point. You stand by, Greg. We're going to bring you back for a roundtable, okay? All right. Richmond Hill earned his bachelor's degree in psychology and his master's degree in counseling from North Carolina State University. 
and is currently a doctoral candidate in the Higher Education Administration Program at George Washington University. Richmond served as a counselor and counseling director in the Prince William County Public School System for nine years before transitioning to work in student affairs at Northern Virginia Community College. Richmond is a counselor and assistant professor for student development at Nova's Woodbridge campus. He also serves as the coordinator for retention, transition programs, and high school outreach. Richmond Hill, welcome to the Brown Bay. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. It's great to have you on. Richmond, you've had vast experience in middle school and now at the community college level. Start by just telling us a little bit about you. Um, your path through life and how it's led you to where you are in your career. Um, yeah, again, like Dr. Hutchings said, I am really blessed to be an educator um, today. Um, I have been encouraged, and it was very interesting when he talked about the power of words because it's the power of words that has encouraged me to this point. Um, it really does. We, we, we hear the, the quote often, it takes a village to raise a child, and I am indeed a product of that village. Um, you know, in church, I learned how to treat people and, and live life, and at school, I learned how to appreciate knowledge and the importance of lifelong learning, and then you move out and you have those community folks that teach you how to lead and communicate. And so all of that came together, uh, you know, to bring me where I am today. I am uh, the son of an educator and a, a, a former social worker. And so I have it in me. And that was always a part of the expectation that education is important and that I would go as far as I possibly could as far as achieving, you know, various levels of education. And uh, I think about the various folks that encouraged me when I was in elementary school and middle school and, and, and high school and college. And it was because of them where I am today. Um, I'm from a small town in North Carolina, and uh, I um, left that small town to go to Raleigh, North Carolina, to go to North Carolina State University. And I met some really great people. And um, one of the folks that I met was Dr. Wandra Hill. And uh, there was a quote that she would have us quote uh, every day, really every time we saw her. And it was very powerful. And it said, every morning in Africa, a gazelle wakes up. It knows it must run faster than the fastest lion or it will be killed. Every morning, a lion wakes up. It knows it must outrun the slowest gazelle or it will starve to death. It doesn't matter whether you are a lion or a gazelle. When the sun comes up, you'd better be running. And that's what lit the fire under me to realize that this education thing is real. I have to have it. And it also allowed me to look deeper into myself, Michael, and 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 see where it was I was supposed to go in life. I went to North Carolina State University initially uh, and majored in broadcast journalism and meteorology. So if you ask anybody in Little Moorhead City, North Carolina, what Richmond Hill was going to grow up to be, it was going to be a meteorologist. I was going to be on television. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. uh, after I and I did study that for two years. And after my sophomore year, I worked at a camp, Michael, uh, with youth. They were roughly from fifth grade to seventh grade, and I was a camp counselor down in Beaufort, North Carolina. And I met some of the most interesting, unique, and promising students I think I've ever met. Uh, the camp had labeled them at-risk students, okay? And so they brought me in and said, we just want to let you know that these are some of the toughest kids you will probably ever encounter. Uh, and they turned out to be some of the most promising kids I had ever 
encountered. And I left that camp experience knowing that I wanted to change the path that I was on and, and, and go and be able to work with students and, 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 and get my education in something that was going to be able to, you know, impact young people down the road. And I was able to do that. And went on to became uh to become a, a guidance counselor uh in a middle school for for quite some time and that was one of the highlights of my professional career i i, I very much enjoyed it and what i wanted to do was to share with them what had been shared with me to impart uh to them what had been imparted to me um you know just along the way growing up and and being in a family that encouraged me and pushed me and I wanted to push those young people because unfortunately they didn't necessarily come from a two parent family all the time or they didn't come from a family where they had that encouragement and they had that uh, uh focus on education and that focus on success and so I wanted to share that with them and so I moved from working in the public school to coming to the community college and this also has one, been one of the highlights of my professional career um College, college access, college success, uh, we have got to get our young people to understand that higher education is the key. They've got to graduate from high school and be ready to come to college um, and get that education. I tell my students all the time, the more you learn, the more you earn. And we know our students are very excited, and our young people, they want to have the cars and the homes and live good lives. But if you don't get that education, there are going to be some barriers there that's going to prevent that. And so we have so many student success in initiatives here at the community college that I've been a part of and been able to be on the uh, leading edge. And it's been such a blessing to see those programs benefit so many students uh, and especially so many young men, because I think our young men often get left out of the campaign when it comes to pushing them toward higher education. And so just being a part of the community college now and, uh, and seeing these young people flourish, it's just been truly a blessing. Awesome. Awesome. Richmond, take us into what we should know about the community college setting. So often I run into adults that might not be where they want to be career-wise. And mm -hmm. I always say, hey, it's not too late. You know, we should always seek to advance ourselves. Um, what would you say to that person who might not be in the career they're passionate about or Maybe they feel a little bit inadequate or maybe too old to go back to school. What would you want the listener to know about what's needed to be successful in college? Gotcha. Um, you know, Michael, it's interesting you bring that up. I did some research this summer uh, with some of our non-traditional students just around some of their attitudes, beliefs, and opinions about coming back to school after quite some time. And uh it's very interesting that there was a common thread, and that common thread that came up time after time through conversation was um, I was nervous, I was afraid, I didn't know where to to start, um, but once I started, um, you know, I was able to uh, take the ball and run with it, and I've experienced quite a bit of success. And a good uh, a person who's very close to me in my life, his quote that he often uses the start is what stops most people. And so if we can just get those folks to realize that if you can just start it, you can most times finish it with all the supports that are going to be in place. And one thing I love about the community college is that our doors are open to everyone. Uh, I work with students every day, and I have a student that comes to see me often who is 65 years old 
who, when he first came to me, was a little hesitant about getting started. And his first thing was, wow. Richmond, do you know how long it's been since I took a math class or an English class? And I told him, I looked him square in the eyes, and I said, but you can do it. With all the supports that are in place, you can do it. So as you said, Michael, it's never too late. Our doors are open to everybody. Uh, it's affordable. Uh, the community college is the best value in town. You cannot beat the value of the education that you get at a community college. Um, and then it doesn't stop there. Not only can you come and get your associate's degree or your certificate, the community college is designed now to be a pathway to the baccalaureate, okay? So mm -hmm. it's a pathway mm -hmm. to the bachelor's degree, and it, it, it's an excellent way for adults who – did not finish the associates or maybe just finished the high school diploma or the GED to come get a start, earn that associates and then move forward. Um, you know, as far as what it takes to be successful, uh, the things that it takes to be successful are the things that we can't teach. We can't teach drive. We can't teach motivation. We can't teach focus. We can't make anybody want it. But if somebody has that drive, motivation, and focus, when they come here, the supports are available. The tutoring is available. If they need any kind of remedial courses in math or English, that's available. If they need someone to help them navigate through the financial aid process, that's available. If they need someone to um, provide some counseling or be a, a listening ear, that's available. If they're looking for a club or an organization to get involved in, that's available. If they're looking for help with a resume or maybe a job placement or things of that nature, we have a career center. So I tell everyone I run into uh, adults uh, and the 18 and 19-year-olds alike, come to the community college get your start, and if you come here with the attitude that I'm going to go and get my education and be successful, you will be successful. If you fail when you come to the community college, it's only because you haven't taken advantage of the supports that are available to you. That's good. That's good. And, you know, I meet with um, with seniors and seniors in high school, and it's it's amazing to me. And and I think your your message is going to resonate with a lot of people, especially um, folks in higher education at the four-year universities. Uh, it sounds like to me you're saying in many ways they need to step their game up, and, and, and I would concur with that. And, and the reason why I say that is because, again, in meeting with seniors, I'm running into students on a daily basis with really good GPAs that could get into a four-year university, but they're saying, nah, I'll go to the community college for two years. Maybe I'll work, you know, um, get a few other experiences, and then I'll transfer over to a four-year university. Can you talk about the influx of students that you've seen and how that's changing the community college setting? Yeah, you know, uh, Michael, the the reputation um, of the community college has changed drastically over the past few years. Uh, and I'll speak specifically about Northern Virginia Community College since NOVA is our community college here in Northern Virginia in the D.C. area. Um, people are choosing more and more 
to begin their education um, at the community college, uh, whether it be because of our guaranteed admission agreements. We have students that come here for two years after high school and say, you know what, I'm not going to go off right away. And, and, and they don't go off right away for various reasons. Sometimes it might be financial. Um, they want to save their families some money and they want to start where it's inexpensive. Or it might be a, a, a personal comfort thing where they're not ready to go down to Blacksburg or, or Hampton or Norfolk or Richmond. So they stay close to home, but they come and they and, and they get an associate's degree here or an associate's degree, and uh, they meet certain minimum GPA requirements, and then they're able to transfer seamlessly to the four-year college or university of their choice. And when we talk to those four-year colleges and universities about our graduates, what they say over and over is that our students, they persist once they get there, they're resilient, and they finish their bachelor's degrees oftentimes within two years. And so the wow. success yeah, the success rate of the transfer students is just as high and sometimes even higher than those students that started their education as a freshman at the four year college or university. Um we have pathways programs in place, Michael, where we begin working with students. It's called our Pathway to Baccalaureate program. We begin working with students in the 12th grade in their senior year. And so from the very beginning, we start working with them on college admissions. Uh, we help them get admitted to NOVA take placement tests, walk them through that, walk them through the new student orientation, provide them early advising and counseling uh, sessions to assist them with academic planning. They get started. Once they get started, they come here to NOVA. They have a designated counselor that they work with. Someone's here that they know they can talk with. Uh, they have programs and activities that, that are designed to make sure they stay here and that they're successful and that they graduate. And then oftentimes they're then eligible for very attractive scholarships to George Mason University or other four-year colleges and universities in Virginia. And then they transfer and they do very well. And that's one of those things. We have got to uh, continue to support our college pathways, and we've got to get our young people in those pathways programs. Those pathway programs are, are invaluable, especially for those first-generation college students where they don't come from families necessarily where there's a lot of, I call it college knowledge, you know, how to navigate all those processes. And sometimes we take it for granted as educators that it's easy, and it's not. And so that support has to be there. But uh, the community college more and more is the most popular route uh, to go as far as getting that associate's degree and then going on to the bachelor's degree. And I was just in conversations yesterday with our college president, Dr. Templin, and he's talking about the conversations that are happening on a daily basis with George Mason University about partnership with the community college uh, and, and how they can make it, you know, those seamless transitions from the associate's degree to the bachelor's degree. Excellent, excellent. And I want to bring Greg back on now. We want to just have a little bit of a roundtable here. And the the question I want to pose to you first, Greg, um, the importance of mentoring. It's almost like I can hear that listener out there saying, you know, I want my child to be successful. Um, I care a lot, but we're struggling. Maybe we're struggling financially. Maybe they don't have the background or they don't have the support or maybe they're a foster child, or they don't have uh, a two-parent household, but nonetheless they want their child to be successful. Greg, talk a little bit about why mentoring is important and how we have to do all we can to help those struggling students. 
Well, yeah, you know, I think you you hit the, the nail right on the head in regards to mentorship. You know, I think they're, it's very important for us. I mean, you have three black men right now on the phone that are talking that are given, you know, 100% in our, in our jobs. And in a sense, we're mentoring some of our young people. We need other men, particularly men of color, uh, out there in our schools and being role models um, for our young people. Many students, particularly students of color, they go through an entire K-12 experience never seeing someone that looks like them. Um, and just having that experience, I mean, just imagine what that does to your psyche. In your mind, you think that this is, it's not possible for me to become a teacher or it's not possible for me to become a principal or possible for me to become a superintendent because you haven't seen that. Um, so I think that when we get our success and when we attain our success, that we're able to go back and give to our communities to be those role models um, for, for our young people. So I think mentorship is so important. Um, in order for us to to have our students achieve at high levels. I agree with that, Greg. Many of us, sometimes we see people in positions of authority or positions of loft, and we assume that maybe, you know, the the path was easy. But many times, if it weren't for those mentors, if it weren't for those people who are willing to take us up underneath their wings, you know, the story could have been a whole lot different. I know that's the case for me personally. Richmond, you, you have a heavy involvement working with, as a mentor, um, talk about that. You know, Michael, I think mentoring, uh, we have an obligation to mentor our young people. Uh, mentoring at its most basic level, it, it at least guarantees that a young person has someone that's there who cares about them uh, as they deal with day-to-day challenges. And uh, if we think about it, when we were young, uh, things that may have seemed easy uh, to our parents and to older folks seemed like a almost a complete mystery to us and uh, mentors help keep students in schools uh, mentors help keep students from you know using illegal drugs they give them an outlet one thing about mentoring that's different from parenting is that oftentimes you'll find especially with adolescent students um, they won't all oftentimes share um, personal uh, information or ask those very personal questions to parents because maybe they're embarrassed or they're afraid of the uh, of the response, but uh, they're much more likely to go to a person that they know they can trust and that cares about them and ask those questions and 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 get that information. And as a parent, you would want your child to be getting information from someone uh, who is trusted, not from uh, another student at school uh, because they would likely be getting the wrong information or detrimental information. Uh, Mentoring doesn't take a lot of time. You know, um, most of the mentoring programs say, if you can give us an hour a week, you know, we'll be glad to do that. And and, and mentoring, it's not the, 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 quantity it's the quality and if you That's make right. a com- yeah you know if you make a commitment to mentoring um it is a commitment indeed and and students and and young people oftentimes deal with a lot of broken promises and they deal with a lot of wow. folks in their lives who have said I'm going to be there I'm going to take you to the game. I'm going to come and help you with your homework. I'm going to be at that play this evening, and they don't show up. And those broken promises are very detrimental to a young person. And so when they can get someone in their life that they love and trust and it, and and 
and and um, can be people of their word and not break promises. That's that's major. It's important. And so, I just tell any any anybody who's looking to to help a young person, be a mentor. And, and, and you can mentor in various ways. They have group mentoring programs. A lot of folks are a little leery of the one-on-one mentoring, and they don't know how to you know necessarily navigate that. But if that's not for you, join a group mentoring program where you have a group of students that come you know every weekend for two or three hours, and you do activities together in a group setting whatever's most comfortable for you but mentoring is 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 powerful and uh, we've got to get more of it in our community that's good that's good greg back to you can you talk about the importance of parents setting up a home environment that is conducive for learning so often um maybe in the classroom you might see that child who's sitting there and Maybe we see the anger or, you know, the frustration that they're having. But many times it's because of something that's going on at home. Um, can you exactly. talk a little bit about that and the importance of that parent, that parental role in their child's education? Well, you know, you said that this is all about real talk. So <laughs> keep so it I real, Greg. That, keep it real. Yeah, I'm going to keep it real <laughs> in regards to our parents because sometimes, you know, our parents are – they expose our children to too much um, adult situations. They give them too much information. And I'm, you know, a faithful believer in sheltering your kids from society and some of those societal issues that are happening across our country and our world. Um, a lot of times, you know, you, you have parents that, whether they're arguing in front of their children or using profanity or drugs, alcohol, abuse, um, all of those things are happening right before their eyes. And they, bring that to school, all those issues and challenges. They come to school, and in a lot of cases, it follows them throughout their lives. So it doesn't just affect them when they're young. It affects them throughout, you know, their entire life. So I I tell parents, and I try to tell them when I have those greatest conversations with them, that it's so important for them to keep adult situations with adults and to shelter their kids and nurture their children. You know, um, we find a lot of our kids who come into the K-12 sector who are angry um, and who have the behavioral issues are those students who are not nurtured at home. You know, give your child a hug every once in a while. Tell your child that you love them. Tell them that they're a wonderful person, that they can do anything. Push them, encourage them. I mean, these are just basic. They sound like basic things that all parents should do, but many parents are just not doing it. Um, So, you know, what I encourage parents to continue to do is just nurture your children, provide a safe environment at home, and, and to shelter them from some of these evil things that are happening um, out in the world. Yeah, and also get in that school. Find out, because I know in our school system, they can go on what we call parent portal. It's really a way to open up the teacher's grade book. So we talk about the technology that students have. What about the technology now that parents have? Now, again, yeah, and they don't take advantage that take, of it, like you that, said. Well, it takes effort. It, it can be tiring. And, you know, you think about a long day, you know, you maybe you've been sitting in traffic. Uh, you come home, i got to get dinner ready. The, the right. motivation might not always be there to sit there and check the homework. I can, I'm a personal example of that. However, we find time for other things we want to do. That's right. Yeah, and, and I think that, you know, and, I, you, and you know, I think that if parents could think of the simple fact, you get one shot. You get one shot to do it right as a parent. That's why, you know, being a parent, I have two children, and it is one of the toughest jobs in the world and so much pressure to know that you make or break your children, period. You get one shot to do it. You don't get do-overs with your children. 
So you have to try to make it right and make the right choice on a continuous basis because it can be detrimental to their future. Um, And I think that when parents really sit down and think about the role that we have, you know, as parents and the responsibility that we have, it's very deep. And some people may not have children (laughs) when you sit and think about it. Some people aren't able to do that. They're not able to do it. Michael, hey, Richmond, I want you to jump in on this too. But before before you jump in, I know you're chomping at the bit there. Talk a little bit about being lifelong learners. Can you bring that in? And and I want to tie in the whole home environment thing because I know as a parent, I can't give my children a perfect household. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Um, However, yeah, yeah. One thing that one, one thing that I, I I wanted wanted to add here, and I'm glad you brought this up, and and I kind of want to speak specifically around uh, our black young men um, when it comes to this. Um, there's a cool factor that exists uh, amongst our young men, and uh, that cool factor takes on many forms, and um, it, it also can be a barrier. One thing that we do when we talk about parental involvement and that home environment promoting education, one thing that we don't do well is we don't celebrate academic achievement well in our community. Um, we are are quick to celebrate athletic achievement. Um, we're quick to celebrate um, uh, entertainment and things of that nature. But do we bring the family out to back-to-school night like we do to the basketball game or the football game? Do we celebrate the honor roll like we do the touchdown and the slam dunk? And we have got to get to a point where we celebrate academic achievement. High expectations yield high high results. And when we don't have those high expectations on the academic uh, side of the house like we have on the athletic or the entertaining side of the house, then we won't see those results that we want to see. And and for students to be and for young people to understand what lifelong learning means, which means that you will be learning until you leave this earth, it has to start at home. And they have to see their parents reading. They have to see their parents having conversations or they have to have those conversations with parents about current events, what's going on. And, and as parents, parents have to have conversations with their young people about what they're actually learning. And and when I say what they're learning, to promote some critical thinking. And so, okay, you're learning about U.S. government, you know, in your middle school social studies class. And so how do we relate that to what's going on currently in Syria or what's going on with Obamacare? And and get these young people, have have higher expectations, get them to think, you know, on a higher level and a higher plane and and promote some critical thinking. But we've got to celebrate as a community. We've got to celebrate academic achievement. And when I talk with the young men here at the college, the first thing I ask them about are – their grades, studying, and focus in school. We can get to the other things later, but I want them to know where my focus is and where my expectations are, and that's what we're going to discuss first. Yeah. And, you know, I just want to chime in really quickly because there is a sense of urgency, and because there's a sense of urgency, there are some students who have families and parents that aren't capable of doing that or aren't willing to do that. And because we have the sense of urgency in K-12, 
we can't wait for the parent to come in and help us. We have to do that within our buildings, and that's why it takes educators to go that extra mile and take that extra step um, to kind of intervene, not to come in to be the parent because we can't do that, but we can instill values and we can encourage our students to be the best that they can be and expose them and provide them the opportunities um, that will help them be successful. Um, so I just wanted to plug that in that, yeah. you know, for the, for the families that don't do it, because we can't sit and wait for them to do it, because those kids are still showing up on our front door in, in our K-12 buildings every day. And we, as educators, have to then step in and provide them with that guidance and support so that they can achieve. Yeah, and, you, and wow, I mean, there's so much to chew on there, and, and there's a lot to digest there. But one thing that, I, that stood out to me was, the whole idea of the success stories. And to me, I think we've got to be transparent. Um, I think sometimes there's a generational gap there. Sometimes you hear, you know, older folks say, well, you know, the young people aren't doing this. All they do is sag their pants. And, you know, you know what mm-hmm. I noticed about, about sagging pants? It's not always the what, but the how. If I had a dollar for every time I told a young man to pull his pants up, I'd be rich. But never once. Has I, have I ever gotten backlash? Because I tried to approach it from the standpoint of, hey, bro, pull your pants up, you know. We we don't we shouldn't be forced to look at your underwear. And they'll kind of chuckle, and, you know, but they'll, pull them, but they'll pull them up, you know. So I think sometimes it's the approach, and we've got to get over this generational stuff of, you know, we were so great in our generation, and they're so horrible in, the, in, yeah. in today's generation. Hey, I, I literally sat with a student yesterday who has a 4.3 grade point average. Okay. Now, you want to talk about some of the young, some of the things that our young people are doing now? I wish we could interview her and she could talk about what it takes to get there. And I think that would change some minds about this whole thing about you know all our young people are doing bad because they're not. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the things that they're doing on technology can run rings around some of the uh, some of the things that That's we're right. doing. So that need to point out the success stories is so so critical. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I I agree, Michael, and 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 we have to, um, as educators and, and people in the field, look at our students, um, and, and especially since we were just talking about black males recently, uh, recently look at them from an asset model approach instead of a deficit model. Uh, we are oftentimes quick to look at what's wrong or or uh, mm-hmm. what they're not, not doing right. But there are many students out there that are being very, very successful, and they are, are setting the stage for others to follow. And so we have to look at what's working, and then we have to duplicate what's working. And, for example, you know, we're looking uh Northern Virginia Community College. We're looking at a program at the uh, Community College of Philadelphia, and it's a minority male initiative program for their black and Latino young men, and it's working. Uh, there's some intervention strategies there. It's working. The success rate, uh, it, it speaks for itself. And so when you see something working and you see students succeeding, then you look at what's working and you hear from those students why it's working, and then you duplicate that. And so I just feel like we have a collective responsibility um, to not just sit in the seat of judgment and talk about what's wrong, but to <laughs> approach those wrongs to try to make them right. Yeah, That's good. That's good. You know, and I want to just give you guys a, a, a few minutes here to just uh, share your heart. I, I know this this topic of education, we can literally probably talk about this every week, so we definitely want to bring you back. But, Greg, what would you say, just kind of wrap it up for us. 
What do you want the listeners to know about education in the 21st century and what we can do to help our children succeed? Well, I just want everybody to know that this is it's a new day and it's a new time and that there is a sense of urgency out there to make sure we're serving all of our students, uh, whether they're African-American or white students or Hispanic students or Asian students, um, that we are providing a quality education for every student that cross that crosses, you know, the doorway in our school buildings. I also think it's so important for people to know that it does take an entire community, and that is our parents, our teachers, our principals, our business leaders, our, you know, city council people and all of our federal government officials. I mean, it takes everybody to come together to make sure that our students are provided with the resources. We have an opportunity gap um, here in the, in the, you know, in the United States. We also have this huge achievement gap between our African-American students and our Latino students and their white counterparts that we have to close. And we can no longer have this in 2013. I mean, you think about Brown v. Board of Education back in 1954 when we finally said, okay, we're going to provide these separate but equal um, or resources for these African-American schools, and we're still dealing with the same issues today that our African-American children are not receiving a quality education um, or an equal access or equal access yeah. to education um, in our schools, and that is a major problem. So we have to stand up and begin to have those courageous courageous conversations about how we can no longer allow this to exist in the United States. That's good. That's good. And, and Richmond, before you go, I, I just want to put in a plug myself for education. And for those who might be hearing this and thinking, you know, hey, I want to, I want to be an educator. I want to roll up my sleeves. Uh, I'm telling you, you, the impact that you can make in the life of others is, is incredible. And I want us to bring some of our best and brightest over to education. You say it's a new day. Let's bring uh, – I want to put a pitch in for those of you who, you know, are captains of your industry. Think about being an educator. We want the best and brightest in this field because this is a field that will touch every other field. All of us go through uh, the pre-K to 12th grade, and it touches every area of life. So I just want to put in a little pitch before I turn you a loose here, Richmond. What's your parting shots? You know, Michael, I just want to, uh, if there are any young people listening, uh, I want to encourage young people and the folks that work with our young people. For those young folks that are listening, I want to encourage you to stay the course and stay focused. And I had a young man come to me a couple of months ago, and he was talking about all the things that were pulling him in his community. Someone was pulling him to uh, be involved in in, in uh, drugs and alcohol, and then there was some pull to be involved in even a, a prostitution kind of situation. And, and, and he he talked about the uh, the quick money that could come from that, and I encouraged him to stay away from that if all possible and, and, and to stay focused and stay the course. And anything gained quickly is often lost quickly. And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, you think about how you learned your alphabet. That took some time. You think about how you learned to ride a bicycle and how you learned your multiplication tables. That took time. But it's something that you will never, ever forget. It won't be lost quickly because you didn't gain it quickly. So I encourage the young people to stay in school, and it might not always be the fastest route to success or the fastest route to achievement or to those things that we want in life, but it's going to be something that you'll be able to hold on to forever. And as far as the, the, the educators and, and those in the community that work with our young people, Michael, I think I've shared this with you often, and it's my quote, some water, some plant, some 
some plant, excuse me, some water and some seed of harvest. And so you might be someone that plants a seed. You might be someone that comes along and waters that seed. And then you might be fortunate enough one day to be that person to see it flourish and, and, and see the harvest from what the work that has gone into that young person. And so I don't want us to get weary in what we do for uh, young people uh, because it it can be discouraging at times, but I want us to all be encouraged. I want us to keep the, uh, keep the fight and keep having high expectations and establish a college going culture amongst our young people very early. We've got to start talking about it early. Elementary school is the time to start. We want them to understand that after high school, there is a career and a college option for you and we've got to get them prepared for it. Wow. Wow. What, yeah. an, what an honor to have both of you on today. Dr. Greg Hutchings, Richmond Hill, what an impact you guys have made today, and what an impact you're making not only in your career but with your life. Keep fighting the good fight. Keep helping our young people, and I'm telling you, we are so very appreciative of that. Thanks for both of you for being on. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, uh, I appreciate it. And also, I just want to say thank you, Absolutely. Mike. I mean, I know that you have come a long way. I remember you being just a skinny guy from North Carolina, and look at what you've yeah. been able to accomplish. So I'm proud of you and what you're doing and what you're doing for our young people in our communities. So just thank you for this opportunity, and I commend you and your hard work. Thank you. I appreciate it. Michael Fordham, you got some words for us before we exit? Well, I I just wanted to, um, if uh, Richmond Hill could just give us a quick idea, because you mentioned how we should be supporting our college pathways. And I just want to make sure us as business owners and members of the community, are there some key things that we could be doing more of or focusing on to help to do that, to help support, just like you said, that college pathway? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, one of the one of the best things our, our business community can do um, when those elementary, middle, and high schools call on you to come and participate in career days, uh, showing up. Mm-hmm. Talking about your 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 chosen profession, your path to it, the education that was required, um, and, and and your day to day activities, and and the joy and success that it's brought to you, that's very important. At the collegiate level, what's most important is that the business community make themselves available for internship experiences, co op experiences, so that students in the summer or during the regular semester can come and get a first hand uh, uh, introduction or get first hand experience into the career and into the profession uh, and hope to inspire and and, and keep them and give them the hands-on experience that employers are looking for. All right, Richmond. Well, thank you for that. Mike, go ahead and take it away. All right. Thank you. Today I want to close with the following thought. Parents, feed your children's appetite for learning. Do it early and often. We are our children's first teacher. We set the tone. So do it with energy, excitement, and engagement. Never expect your child to get excited about that which you are disengaged. Think about the slaves who gave their all for us to have the rights that we have now. Those slaves who snuck away in the middle of the night in those pit schools to teach themselves how to read. They knew that education was their ticket to freedom. Let's take that ticket and run with it. Signing off now. Remember, love God, love people, Live on purpose.
what you heard is right.